Alright everyone, hello, welcome to another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey, I'm your host. Let's get this out of the way. Thank you all very much for joining, for being here. It is all deeply appreciated. Please interact with the product a little bit. Uh, like, comment, subscribe, share, tell a friend, all of it. All of it helps. And I hate saying that, because I always feel like a... <laughs> I feel like a moron. But, uh... Apparently it works, or in, or in theory it does, so if you would please, that's always appreciated. All right, let's see, on the agenda this evening, yesterday morning, UFC on ABC2, well, that was uh, something, technically, it happened. This coming week, UFC on ESPN22, so review and preview, not a lot of news, a couple of quick things, uh, we had some... Bellator had an event. I don't usually talk a whole lot about Bellator, but they had a couple of events over the last little bit, and figure I'd give them a little bit of time. And one championship made their North American television debut. They debuted on TNT, uh, what was it, Wednesday? Yeah, I think it was Wednesday. So, that seems to have gone poorly for all parties concerned. All right. So anyway, that's on the agenda. Let's go ahead and jump into what's going on. Uh, yeah, I don't have anything else to, to get out of the way at the beginning, so let's talk this out. UFC on ABC2. Uh, mentioned last week we lost the main event of Darren Till and Marvin Vittori. Instead, we got Marvin Vittori and Kevin Holland. Vittori defeats Kevin Holland to unanimous decision, 50-44. This list 50-44 across the board. I think there was one 50-45 on the announced scorecards. I don't know if that was a math error or if the listing here on Wikipedia is incorrect. When they announced it in the cage, it was 150. There was two 50-44s, one 50-45. I was 50-44. Uh, look, this one is expected. It wasn't terribly interesting. Holland's good enough at long distance to keep things somewhat interesting, but he just wasn't... I shouldn't say this is a negative to him so much as a positive to Vittori. Marvin Vittori is very good everywhere. And what sealed the deal for him here is he has very good takedowns against the fence. Most people use the fence defensively quite well, so a lot of fence wrestling has become very stall-oriented, fighting from marginal positions. Vittori was actually pretty good about securing takedowns. Now, some of that's him. In fact, a lot of that's him. Some of that is Holland's uh, lack of technical acumen in the area. There's a bunch of stuff he could have been doing that he wasn't doing that, uh, you know, maybe could have helped him out a little bit. Uh, I mean, I don't want to get too deep. The commentary team did a great job of breaking this, of breaking that down in particular. So if you're interested in some of that stuff, he doesn't really turn his feet, doesn't turn his hips. Doesn't do enough to stop Vittori from locking his hands together. Doesn't down block. And there's, there's things you can do. Some of which he just wasn't doing. And some of which Vittori was kind of actively stopping him from doing. So you know, fighting is a two-person activity. Very little of it is done entirely on the back of one person. Uh, yeah, Holland just didn't have anything. Uh, didn't really have anything once he got on the ground. He's not great about getting up. I don't know if that's a choice on his part. I don't know if that's a gap in his training or a mental or a mental issue or what, but if you can't... There was actually a bit of a debate on commentary, and it's something of an interesting proposition to discuss, whether or not it is better to, st to be able to stop a takedown or to regain your feet after being taken down. Now, in an ideal world, you're very, very good at both, but which should be your priority if you're not very good at either? And it's... I think the the correct answer depends entirely on what you view the current meta to be as far as uh, the state of MMA. If you think the meta is more tilted towards um, uh, prolonged grappling exchanges, it is better to be able to get up. Because it doesn't really matter how good your takedown defense is, the if those exchanges go on, are dragged on and on and on, you're going to go down eventually. And if you don't have proficiency getting up, you can then all you need is one takedown. This is one of the things about Khabib. He didn't get a he didn't get every takedown he shot for. In fact, his if you look at his total like percentage of accuracy, wasn't that great. But once he got a hold of you, <laughs> he was very good about keeping contact. 
about keeping you on keeping you on the ground. So a lot of guys who had great takedown defense could stop three of his four shots around, could stop five of his six shots, however many it was. If if you're if you think they only need one, and then if they get that one, you're screwed. You're better off giving up the one the first time, but being really really good about getting back up. Holland not so good about getting back up. Uh, yeah, the man just needs work. And, I mean, lest this come across as I'm trying to bury the guy, I'm not trying to bury him. This is an exploitable pattern that he has. Brunson did it, Vittori did it. Now, you've still got to be very good. Uh, his takedown defense, I think, is still north of 50% if you look at his entire UFC career. So he's good. At, you have to be good at getting people down to get him down. You know, I couldn't take him down, for example. And some of the lower tier of middleweight probably are going to struggle to get him down. But if you can make that one shot into the next shot into the next shot, if you can chain those attacks together, he does seem to struggle a little bit. And when he's down, he's not doing a lot of the stuff that... He's not employing a lot of contemporary best practices, maybe be the way to say that, to regain his feet. And it's, that's going to be a pretty big limiting factor on his overall success. I'm not trying to knock the guy, but that, that's just reality. Especially in contemporary MMA. If you are going to struggle in that area, people are going to make you fight there as often as they can. And eventually that becomes a bigger and bigger issue over time. Uh, Vittori said he wants a title shot next. Uh, that's kind of going to depend entirely on the outcome of the main event for this week's card. If Vittoria had done something really spectacular, I mean, Holland's never been finished in the UFC. I don't think he's been finished. Has he? Hang on. Okay, Allen choked him out, but he'd never been stopped with strikes. If he'd done that, or if he'd been just the second guy to tap him out, that might have been something. Uh, he's never actually been finished with strikes. If you're the first guy to pull that off... That might have been something. Or if you'd turned in a... I hate to reference the guy twice. But if you've done a, if you'd done a Khabib, right? Where just everyone watching this is just kind of in awe of your dominance. And you just put a real beating on the guy. Even if it goes the distance. Now, that didn't happen either. So, it's not that Vittori doesn't have a case. He does. He's on a five-fight winning streak, I think. Let me double-check that. I want to say it's five. Yeah, it's five. Uh, he's only got one finish in there, which is a little bit of a problem for him, but, yeah. Uh, this is back-to-back main event wins. You know, he's he's on a, he's in a good spot. He's got a, he's certainly got a case. Uh, he's, he's just kind of going to be in a little bit of a holding pattern until we see Whitaker and Gastelum. If something wonky happens there, then maybe Vittori uh, has the strongest case. The other... The other thing is, what does what does Israel Adesanya want to do? You know, the champ has a degree of input, rightfully so. When they ask for stupid things, I'm happy to say that they're asking for stupid things, but it's not like the champion should have no input whatsoever. Uh, so, yeah, he's... We're just going to have to wait and see a little bit at middleweight for the moment. All right, co-main event. Arnold Allen defeats Sadiq Youssef via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. Both guys looked pretty good. Uh, Allen dropped Yusuf in the first and second. Uh, first round with a really nice little straight... It was a straight left. Breaking a clinch. Second round, head kick. Right upside the dome. Kudos to Yusuf for surviving those. And then you come back to win the third. Uh, Allen's a guy that's a little bit forgotten in the featherweight picture. But the man hasn't lost since 2014. He's now won... I think there was eight in a row in the UFC. Let me double check that. Yeah, eight. Uh, the, the only downside is his his activity's been a little bit low. He debuted in 15, only fought once. Fought uh, not quite a year later in 16. A little over a year later in 17. A little over a year later in 18. A little under a year in 19. Fought a second time in 19. One of the few t- uh, when he beat up Gilbert Melendez. Then waited until so that was July of 19. Once in January of 2020, and now over a year later, April of 21. The man has a ton of ability. And again, he's a sadly forgotten figure in the featherweight division, because he has he's a very good fighter. Just 
the level of activity is not doing him any favors, and it certainly doesn't help that uh, featherweight is a very, very good division. I mean, you've kind of got lightweight and bantamweight occupying one and one A. So if you got those two like tied for first, more or less, uh, featherweight's number two slash three, depending on how you feel about lightweight or bantamweight. Featherweight's right after those two. It's a very, very good division. So a uh, needed win for him. Hopefully he stays a bit more active and can actually make a run at this because he's very good. And Yusuf didn't look bad. He's a power puncher. You know, he's He had some moments. I think he numerically outstruck Allen in all three rounds, but one, that was unofficially. I haven't double-checked the uh, corrected numbers. And two, his, his stuff didn't seem to matter as much. And that matters. Uh, this was Yusuf's first loss in the UFC. I imagine he'll bounce back. Both guys look good. It's rare that you see uh, you know, a fight like this where both guys look pretty darn good, but they did. All right, middleweight Julian Marquez defeated Sam Alvey via technical submission, rear naked choke, 207 of the second. Uh, Marquez did what you should do against Sam Alvey. Sam will put himself on the fence, so he backed him into it, and then just stayed active. He hit him to the body. A lot of straight rights to the body to set up his right to the head. Just kept picking at him. Didn't really fall for the Sam Alvey weight, uh, you know, weight and slow pace. Alvey's good about grinding people down to fight his pace, and when you do, he's very good. Uh, just, <laughs> you know, if you make Alvey fight at a pace other than his pace, he struggles. And one of the things Marquez did, really nice finishing sequence. He hurts. Jeez. Uh, he hurts Alvey on the feet, flurries on him, drops him, starts pounding him out from kind of the front headlock position, spins to the back, grabs a no uh, no hooks in the choke, but the way he gets it, he gets not only his squeeze nice and his grip, his catch, you know, around the neck, nice and deep. He gets Alvey's head in the middle of his, uh, kind of on the side of his, so he can leverage his upper body into it. Uh, you usually want the hooks because it's a, as a defensive tool, but if your opponent's rocked, uh, that opens up, you don't need it as much if you can secure a tight enough grip. He did. Uh, forced things down. Choked him completely unconscious because Salvi didn't tap. Uh, solid win, man. That Marquez lost a lot of time, and he's still got, pro I shouldn't say problems. It's still very obvious that he's developing and where he's developing. But, you know, the man can fight, straight up, so... Uh, kudos to him. Post-fight, he had another wacky call-out. He challenged, I think, three members of the... Because uh, he trains out of Missouri with James Krause. I forget the name of the gym. So forgive me, but he trains out of that with that team out of Kansas City. Uh, he called out three members of the Kansas City Chiefs, the ba uh, basketball, the football team, to, like, play pickleball, I think it was, or badminton. <laughs> Uh, for the second time in a row, he's had some ridiculous post-fight call-out that, thanks to a little bit of signal boosting from the official ESPN Twitter, gained some traction. I mean, remember last time when he came back from that long layoff, he asked Miley Cyrus to be his valentine. She responded. Uh, <laughs> now he's like, hey, you know, uh, Patrick Mahomes. I forget the other two. Uh... Forgive me, I can't. I genuinely can't remember. I'm not a big football guy. But called them out. The again, the ESPN, you know, Instagram and Twitter account tagged them and said, "Hey, you know, so what about it?" And all three of them kind of responded with a "Sure, why not?" <laughs> I mean, it's the weirdest thing that this guy. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if he's just really smart about picking his spots, or you know, knowing what to say to get the right people to respond after his request kind of gets boosted by a bigger platform than him, by an entity bigger than him on his own. But we'll see if anything comes of it. Uh, good for him. I mean, decent fight. It was a fun little brawl. This was technically your fight of the night, which was horse crap, by the way. Uh, that, uh-uh. It was a terrible decision to give this fight of the night over John McDessie and Ignacio Bahamondes from the prelims. But we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Mackenzie Dern defeated Nina Nunes via armbar, 448 of the first. Once this hit the ground, man, I mean, Nina, this, the former Nina Ansaroff, now Nina Nunes, she can grapple. I mean, she's not a schlub, but, you know, Mackenzie Dern is maybe the, I think, 
there shouldn't be too much controversy with the following statement. Mackenzie Dern is the best pure grappler, especially if we're talking about jiu-jitsu grappling, that has ever competed on the women's side of thing in MMA. She's among the best pure jiu-jitsu players to ever fight in the UFC, period. Uh, multiple-time world champion in the gi. Uh, I, think she, I think she had some stuff out of the gi as well. Let me double-check that. I don't want to speak out of turn. I mean, multiple-time world championship, both at her, uh, her natural weight class and the absolute division. Yeah, she medaled in Nogi. Uh, and she won the ADCC North America. Yeah, she won the ADCC world title and 15. Yeah, so multiple-time world champion in the gi, out of the gi. Yeah, she is... You play jiu-jitsu with that woman, you're going to wind up strangled or with a limb torn off. There's not really two ways around that one. It's just not a good thing. Uh, and once she got she got uh, Nunez down, passed guard, full mount, worked. Her her extension of the arm was just textbook. Uh, Nunez does everything right. She she figure fours her own arm. She Nunez uh, she's fighting the grip properly. Part of the problem is Dern doesn't accelerate uh, her position. A lot of guys might rush that position. And if they rush, the, especially the sitting back, if you rush that, it's easy for the guy on bottom to kind of ro go with your momentum, come up on top and stack you and then fight from there. If you do it properly and you wind up, I think Eddie, uh, Eddie Bravo calls it spiderweb control. If you get situated there, the guy on bottom's kind of in trouble. Okay, your arm's already being threatened. And it's not an easy position to escape. You have, I don't think you have any offensive options. You might have some really, really gimmicky ones, but I doubt it. Uh, so once you get there, you, you, the only hope is the clock. And you know, to Nunez's credit, she did everything she could. That's just an utterly untenable position with that kind of skill dis differential. Uh, arm gets extended. She taps. Uh, I don't, I'm not calling for Dern to get a title shot off of this, but she should be she should be fighting somebody pretty big. I mean, we've got you know, the title fight coming up between Nama Yunus and Zhang. You've, so, I don't know, Ioana's still kind of puttering around. I don't know what she's going to do next. Uh, let me have a look at the rest of the rankings real fast. Uh, Carla Esparza and Yan Xiaonan are going to fight, I think on that same card with uh, Zhang and Nama Yunus. Uh, she just beat number five. So maybe the winner of Jan, of Jan and Esparza, maybe Joanna. That'd be a rough fight for her, Joanna's. But she should be fighting in that top spot after this. I mean, there's not really any argument the other way. Uh, there might, if you don't drop, if you don't bump her all the way up to five, uh, I mean, her and, you know, jeez. It's not like her and someone like Marina Rodriguez or Claudia would be a bad fight, but I tend to think with the run she's on, she should be fighting somebody, especially if you just beat number five. And again, even if you don't give her number five, she should be fighting someone who is currently ranked above where Nunes is now next. Uh, my two cents for whatever that's worth. So I imagine it's not worth a whole lot at the moment, but you're listening to my podcast, so uh, you're taking that, you're, you're willing to give me some kind of credit as far as that goes. And kicking off the main card, Daniel Rodriguez defeated Mike Perry via unanimous decision. 30, 20, two 30-27s, 30-26. I was 30-26. Um, I know Rodriguez had his first UFC loss when he fought uh, Nicholas Dalby. But that man is a problem at welterweight. He is a very slick striker. I think his head coach, or at least his kickboxing coach, is Joe Schilling. A high-level kickboxer and a pretty good MMA fighter. He fought in Bellator several times. Uh, he's, he's very smooth on the feet. He varies up his offense. He's got really, really nice technique to watch. Uh, he beat the crap out of Perry, man. I mean, he just, he tooled that guy up. His nose was busted. There was a bunch of swelling up along the left side of his eye. Uh, not a good fight for Mike Perry at all. Uh, Rodriguez... Uh, this was a name, in terms of name value, this was a step up. I think in terms of exposure, too, because main card on ABC. I don't think he'd been on the main card before. 
Did the Dolby fight was UFC 255? No, that was prelims. Uh, Dwight Grant, maybe? You see on ESPN 15. Uh, yeah, okay, that one, but... Hmm. I hate to I mean, I hate to say that the... ABC's a bigger platform than ESPN, because I'm not sure it is. But he, again, he beat uh, Dwight Grant on that one. So the combination of larger plat, you know, large platform ver, uh, along with name value opponent, uh, yeah, one of the, you know, a very big win for him. Give that man a good, a decent step up in competition next. I, I'm not saying future champion at all, but that guy's a, he's a lot of fun to watch. And that guy's a very real problem for the division at welterweight. So pay attention to him going forward. He's, he's no one to trifle with at a bare minimum. Uh, as for the prelims, let's see. Joe Selecki defeated Jim Miller via unanimous decision, 229-28, 130-27. Miller got on top in the first round, should have won it. I thought he did. Selecki got on top in rounds two and three. Every, uh, Not a whole lot here. Uh, Mateus, I'm mispronouncing that guy's first name, but I can't remember how to say it correctly. So my apologies, sir. Uh, Mateus Gamrot defeated Scott Holtzman via knockout punches uh, 122 of the second. Gamrot had a bit of hype when he debuted and then dropped a, a really good fight, actually, with... I can't remember the guy's first name, but Kuta Taladze. Uh, here, bounces back and just starches Scott Holtzman, That's not, which is not an easy thing to do. So good on him getting the first... Uh, that's his first knockout win. He's normally more of a grappler. Uh Good performance from Gamrot. Uh, what should have been your fight of the night? John McDessie and Ignacio Bahamondes. McDessie wins via split decision. Didn't agree with the split, really. Uh, there was two 29-28s, one each way, and then a 30-27 for McDessie. I was 29-28, McDessie. These two had a barn burner, man. Uh, they came out, and they just beat the crap out of each other. It was great. It was really great. Fairly high-paced, both men landing a lot, uh, good variety, both men getting hurt at various points. I, I I feel like part of the reason they didn't give this fight of the night was Bahamondes missed weight. Norm, in the past, if they've given fight of the night to a fight where one guy misses weight, the other guy simply gets both checks. So really all that happened here was <laughs> uh, poor John McDessie got screwed out of $100,000. Uh, which really sucks. This was your fight of the night. It was a really, really, really engaging lightweight fight. So kudos to both of them. Uh, Jarjus Danho defeated Jorgen DeCastro via knockout in the first round punches. Danho ending a five-year layoff, I think, give or take. Four at least. Uh, yeah, it's heavyweight, man. What do you want me to say? <laughs> I, I'm not a betting man. But if I'd seen DeCastro as a minus three-something favorite versus... We're talking low-level heavyweights. If you've got the money to spend, anytime you see lower-level heavyweights like this and there's that wide of a payout, might be worth a flyer on uh, on the underdog just because the, of the volatility present in that division. Again, I don't bet, uh, but that would have been a very tempting bet if I did. Just put it that way. Uh, let's see, Jack Shore defeated Hunter Azure via split decision. Did not agree with the split. I thought Shore had this pretty easily. Uh, 230-27 for Shore, 129-28 for Azure. Shore's legit. Uh, I mean, Bantamweight's a tough division. This was the right kind of fight for him. He's an undefeated guy. He's had a few fights in the UFC. Maybe time to step him up. All right, featherweight Luis Saldana defeated Jordan Griffin via unanimous decision. Um... Jordan Griffin's just not all that great. Uh, Saldana, uh, Saldana, get the Enya. So Saldana, I, my, <laughs> I know my like Latin accents are terrible, but just bear with me. I'm trying to, I'm trying to do it justice. I don't want to, I don't want to be the Saldana. No, it's, it's Saldana. So I'm doing my best here. Uh, Griffin just couldn't really get in on him. Uh, and just. Fairly unme unmemorable, but not a bad fight. Uh, light heavyweight Daun Jung defeated William Knight via unanimous decision, 230-26, 130-27. Uh, 
Uh, once Jung was able to get things to the ground, he was... Uh, Knight got off the ground in the first round a couple of times through raw power, but once that goes away, uh, Jung was able to just take him down, ride him out, uh, do damage, control him all three rounds. Uh, nothing terribly impressive, nothing other than that, really. And kicking off the early prelims, Impa Kasanga and I dropped down to 170 and defeated Sasha Poletnikov via rear naked choke 26 seconds of the second round. Uh, another no-hooks choke, I seem to recall. Uh, he just was able to force in scramble. He hurt he hurt Poletnikov a little bit, but once they got scrambling, just came around, caught the neck. Uh, very, not identical, but similar to Marquez and Alvi. And was able to get the you know, get the tap out quickly into the second. Nice rebound from Kasangana. You know, some... Bears repeating. If you're on the wrong end of a devastating high-profile knockout, that can ruin you. Uh, Kasangana just got back to work, so kudos to him for that. Uh, for what it's worth, your post-fight bonuses in Fight of the Night was Marquez and Alvi, which was bull. Performances, Dern and Gamrot, which... Yeah. I'm fine with those. I don't have any... I don't have any real arguments against either of them. Uh, so, anyway, that was UFC on ABC... Two was an early morning card on su- on Saturday, and I know most of you, I know a lot of people weren't watching because, well, uh, WrestleMania, getting excited for WrestleMania after that. Alright, so, anyway, thank you, you can find my full report for that event in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania if you're so inclined. Please do give it a read, like, uh, like. Give it a read, comment if you if you feel so inclined, share it around, always appreciated, whatever kind of support you can give me. This coming week, UFC is back on ESPN for our main card. Main event, Robert Whitaker and Kelvin Gastelum. This fight was supposed to take place, if you'll remember, uh, UFC 234. Yeah, UFC 234. Uh, then he had that series of... Uh, <laughs> Issues, uh, he had the, what was it, like a ruptured hernia, something like that. Collapsed bowel. Uh, gnarly stuff. Uh, he's, so uh, that fell apart at the last minute. Um, so a couple of years later, we're back at it here. A um, little bit surprised that Gastelum's getting this spot, not going to lie. He's, uh, I mean, he beat Ian Heinish in his last fight, but he lost three in a row before that. I mean, sure, one of them was Adesanya. He had the split with Till. And he got blown out of the water by Jack Hermanson. Whereas, you know, by contrast, Whitaker, after losing his belt, has now beaten Darren Till and Jared Cannonier. I mean, the man has one loss at middleweight in his entire time in the UFC. Ever, actually. Yeah, he was all welterweight before he got to the UFC. So, only one loss to the champion. <laughs> uh... If Whitaker wins this fight, as long as there's no controversy around it, he should get your next shot. There's not really an argument against him. I mean, he'll have beaten three other guys, uh, two of whom were in the title picture in both Till and Cannoneer. As for the fight itself, I was going to pick Whitaker when they were first going to fight. I don't really have a reason not to pick him here. Gastelum has, he's a good fighter. He's got very good wrestling when he chooses to use it. He's got some really, uh, some really sneaky uh, uh, transitions and sweeps. He's got fast hands, thudding power. You know, there's a lot good about his game. He's just really, really up and down for reasons that are unclear to me. By contrast, you have Whitaker, who's much more like the model of consistency. <laughs> I mean, that man goes out there and he's going to give you what he's going to give you every time. So I'm I'm picking Whitaker, but I look... It's a good fight on paper. It's a really good fight on paper. So that's your main event. Um, fast, can we go through the rest of these? Most of these aren't going to take too much time, so let's get on with this. Co-main event as it currently stands. I ought to tell you how steep the uh, drop-off is on this card. Jeremy Stevens and Drakkar Close... Stevens moving back to lightweight after, uh, yeah, the loss to Cater, when Cater elbowed him into unconsciousness last year, a little over a year ago. 
That's a little under a year ago. But he hasn't won since he knocked out Josh Emmett in 2018. Not a good look. Uh, close, on the other hand. He got knocked out by Benil Daryush. That has only lost to David Taylor. I'm going to pick close. Uh, Steven seems to be nearing the end. And for a guy who's been around as long as he has, and has had as many fights as he has, that's probably overdue. Uh, Andre Orlovsky is stepping in on short notice to replace Parker Porter against Chase Sherman. Uh, Orlovsky has a knack for winning these fights when he's not supposed to, but I can't pick him in good conscience, even though Chase Sherman is... Jeez, what do you even say about that guy? Went 2-5 and five in his first run in the UFC, was cut after a three-fight losing streak. Won three in a row, got back into the UFC, and beat Ike Villanueva. So I'm, I'm going to pick Sherman, but I am not confident at all. Uh, middleweight, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan against Jacob Malkoon. Seems like kind of a setup for Al-Hassan. He's a guy they've been pretty high on. Uh, but he's also lost his last two fights against Munir Lazez and then Chaos Williams. He missed weight for both of those. That was a welterweight. Is he at middleweight here? Yeah, so he's moving up. Uh, not a gimme. I don't, I don't really think there's too much of a gimme in the UFC, especially at middleweight. But maybe a softer touch than they could give, they might give others or could. So I'll pick Alassane, but eh, again, iffy. Luis Pena and Alexander Munoz. I struggle to pick Pena. Let me double check Munoz here. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's fought in the UFC before. I just. It's a fair number of Munozes. So I'm trying to keep them all straight in your head is uh, occasionally a challenge. Let's see. Yeah, he lost to Nasrat Hakparast in his UFC debut. See, this is Pena coming back to lightweight. Hmm. Has he been at lightweight for a while? I think he's been at lightweight for a while. Uh, I, I am going to pick Pena, but that dude's got to find... He's got to hit his stride sooner rather than later. And kicking off the main card, Ricardo Hamos and Bill Algio. Uh, Hamos, he got starched by Lerone Murphy. a little bit too in love with the spinning stuff. But, I mean, on the other hand, you've got Algio, who's, uh... Let's see. One and one in the UFC. I mean, he did all right against Lamas, and then he beats by... He meets by Carlisle, because Carlisle just gasses himself out. Hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna pick Hamos, but I'm not... I'm not sold on that. All right. That's your main card. So prelims, we have Tracy Cortez and Justine Kish. Uh, I mean, Kish isn't bad, but she's really struggled in the UFC. Um, she's 3-3. Three and three. And the UFC seems to want to get behind Cortez a little bit, so I imagine this is a not a gimme, but a calculated bit of matchmaking. Uh, heavyweight Alexander Romanov and Juan Espino. Um, much as I normally dump on heavyweights, this actually isn't a bad one. Both men are more grapplers than anything. Uh, Romanov, who, you know, uh, got a forearm choke win in his last fight, which was hilarious. Uh, but, uh, you know, Espino, a jiu-jitsu slash catch wrestling guy. Uh, this is actually not a bad heavyweight fight for, you know, Middle, middle-ish level heavyweights. Um, I'm. Jeez, who do I pick here? It's a tough one, actually. I'm gonna go with the Spino, but that's a coin flip. I'll uh, see. Women's strawweight Jessica Penne will fight Lu uh, Lupita. G Whoa, Gudinez. Um, I'm gonna pick Penne, but she's been out for a while. Has had all kinds of setbacks. Uh, middleweight. Gerald Mershart and Bartosz Fabinski. That's all going to be about who gets on top. So I'm okay picking Fabinski, but again, either guy could win that fight. Uh, let's see. We have Zara Farin Dos Santos. She has a different 
Super, you know, uh, Zara Farine against Josiane Nunez. Uh, hmm. Let's see. Nunez making her UFC debut. Uh, Farin, F-A-I-R-N. Oh, she's French. I'm, mis I'm probably mispronouncing that. Yeah, it hasn't... Yeah, I'll, I'll go with Nunez. And kicking everything off, we have Tony Gravely and Anthony Burchak. I feel okay. I mean, Burchak's been real up and down in the UFC. Jeez, no. Wait, maybe I don't. Uh, let me take a look at Gravely. Gravely's fought in the UFC. He's one and one. Yeesh. Not a not a great fight. I'll pick Gravely, but yeah, again, that's yeah. Uh, I don't feel confident in my picks for that one either. But uh, you know, good main event. Surprisingly, there's a decent heavyweight fight on there on the prelims. And, yeah, I will have coverage in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania. So, as always, stop by, say hello. Always appreciate it. All right, let's do some quick thoughts on Bellator and one here. Uh, okay, let's let's start with one. They had their Wednesday night show. Uh, this was their debut on TNT in North America. And if you, th if you talk results-wise, first of all, you had some unfavorable results for the promotion. The card that the fight that kicked everything off was Eddie Alvarez and a gentleman whose name I can never pronounce. Uh, Alvarez was disqualified for blows to the back of the head in the first minute. Um, I mean, you can have the separate rules discussion about whether or not you think. So, uh, just I mean, unfortunate. Uh, then you're. It wasn't the last match of the night, but kind of the main event uh, for the one flyweight championship. Uh, Demetrius Johnson battled. Oh, why can I never remember that guy's name? I can never remember his first name. Hang on, I have to look this up. Uh, Adriano Marais. Oh, God. I, I don't know why. I always want to call him something. Something's good with an L. And I, I have no reason to. Uh, Marais defeated uh, DJ via knockout, knee and punches in the second round. Won the first round, too. Uh, hit him with a grounded knee, which was one. It's a, it's perfectly legal under that rule set, and kudos to DJ after the fact because he, in the wake of Aljamain Sterling and Peter Yan, he was kind of vocal about how he thinks that they should be legal. When he was asked about, well, do you still feel the same way after getting knocked out by one? His response was, yes, that was on me. <laughs> uh, to be fair, I think it, I don't want to get into the rules debate. It's a really, really long discussion. You don't want to hear me talk to myself about it. Uh, but Morais is a guy that's been kind of slept on for a while. Uh, also bear in mind that Morais is a lot bigger than DJ. Now, to be fair to Morais, he's made 125 in other promotions. Flyweight in one is 135 because they fixed weight cutting, quote-unquote. I don't want to get into that. But Marais has been a very, very legitimate guy for quite some time. He's 19 and three. His, uh, he's only had like split decision losses in one, uh, one of which he avenged. Uh, he trains out of American Top Team. The man's legit. Uh, don't sleep on him. Then I think the last match that was a kickboxing match in four ounce gloves featuring Rod Tang. It's always fun to watch Rod Tang do his thing. But you know, not none of the results. I mean, even if even if you wanted to have DJ and Alvarez lose, you know, the Alvarez one was just bad. Uh, DJ losing could make a star theoretically, to the extent that uh, to the extent that DJ's star power is transferable. And I I banged the drum for Demetrius Johnson for a long time, but even you know, I have to be real about his you know drawing power. He was never a giant draw, even when he was the best in the world. Uh, all right, so, yeah, oh, the big thing, here's the big thing. The ratings for that seem to be settling at a little under 200,000 viewers, which is awful. Uh, they had a good, le they had, a, they, this aired right after AEW's Dynamite show. I'm not a big fan of AEW, I, I cover them on occasion if I have to. I cover the, uh, cover one of their web, one of their YouTube shows, uh, Dark Elevation, which is, eh. It kind of is what it is. Uh, 
I'm not sorry, I'm not the biggest fan of their product, but they've got a real audience. Uh, they, I think they had like 800,000 viewers for this episode, uh, which is a little bit above their average. I want I want to say, but not out, uh, not an aberration for them. They are they haven't been. I think they've been above 600k for a, like they they fluctuate a little bit. But they've been above 600k consistently for quite some time now, so they're a strong lead-in in theory. With the exception, with the you would think that, except TNT might finally be uh, remembering or being reminded of a bit of a truism about professional wrestling. Professional wrestling might draw very well. I think, and this is not. I'm not here to debate the individual. I'm not debating individual companies or or shows at different times because at times they've drawn very well sometimes they struggle but pro wrestling might always be a decent draw but it doesn't always transfer in terms of getting someone to stay on your network and then watch something else this was uh this was a big part of the reason i'm going to date myself horribly here but if you go back in time to when SmackDown was on either before they merged, before before the WB channel merged with UPN and SmackDown was on UPN and then it was on the CW for a while, they didn't really want it, not because it was a bad uh, or a poorly rated show, but its ratings didn't transfer to anything else. Uh, the same was a little bit true of uh, you know, when... Uh, Monday Night Raw, even, when it was on Spike, or, uh, geez, what did Spike turn it into? Uh, TNN, well, sorry, TNN turned into Spike. Uh, you know, it, pro wrestling has a very real audience, and I'm not knocking, to be clear, I am not knocking pro wrestling at all. I've very much enjoyed pro wrestling for giant periods of my life. Uh, my fandom just kind of comes and goes. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, again, not knocking it. But it's not a very transferable uh, uh, audience. You know, they just, they don't really go, they don't really uh, stick around for whatever comes up after the program ends. Uh, Now, that's, which is not to excuse the very poor rating here. Uh, Making headway in the MMA space in North America in particular is just a giant pain in the butt. The UFC's market share is enormous. Uh, I mean, there's, there are still people who refer to it as ultimate fighting. Think, uh, there was something that uh, Lorenzo Fertitta, when he did an interview at one point about the early days, he and you know, you know, he and his brother and uh, Dana White, they were looking at getting into the space. And he mentions they could have started, they could have just started their own and just run it better. But he said there was something about those three letters and about the branding opportunity that Ultimate Fighting Championships presented. And he's right, he was right. You know, credit to the man. That was entirely correct. Breaking in is incredibly difficult. If you want to generate any kind of space into the market, the UFC has north of 80% of the market share. I think if we're talking about MMA fandom in North America. You want to make headway against that? You're going to have to pry that uh, kicking and screaming from the clutches of the UFC. It's not easy. And one... While one has... I like... There's a few things that one does, I think, better than the UFC, all things considered. I prefer their rule set. I, I like knees to the head of a downed opponent. I don't think they allow kicks, which is a fine distinction if you want to draw that. I like knees to the head of a downed opponent. I do. Call me crazy. I like it. They judge the fight as a whole rather than round by round. I would like to see how that plays out. Uh, I think there's an argument to be made about that being a more effective way to score MMA rather than round by round. I don't know that I don't know that that's true, but there's certainly an argument. And I mean, anytime this gets brought up, 
this gets sorry this gets brought up any time people br want look at a screwy scorecard from you know wh when we go round by round. There were screwy. There are screwy. There are not just were are there are screwy decisions in one. There are screwy decisions using the other scoring method. Neither is fa uh, infallible. The question is, you know, which one do you want to err on, and which one gives you, I don't know, more egregious scoring. I don't know. Um, but I'm I'm happy they're using it. I'm happy we're able to gather data around how this scoring criteria. It's not even weighting things differently. It's almost essentially just. Well, it is weighting a few things differently, but it's scoring the fight as a whole rather than round by round. Does this lead to more accurate and a more accurate reflection of reality than the other way? Seems a fair question, and I'd like to know the answer. And they're helping provide data, so good for them. But this was a this was pretty much a disaster. Less than two hundred thousand views. Um, less than two hundred thousand live viewers. That's not good. That is really not good, especially after a strong lead-in. It's it's just not a good thing. Uh, as for Bellator, uh, they had some of their they had the semifinals of their featherweight Grand Prix uh, recently. Once it was like either last uh, recently enough. Anyway, we're gonna get uh, AJ McKee and Antonio. Uh, excuse me, and uh, Pitbull. Uh, same, uh, Patricio Pitbull. So, and Pitbull, who is, you know, this particular, this particular Pitbull is, I think, pretty easily the best fighter in the history of Bellator. He is one of the three best featherweights in the world, I think. Uh, I don't know where exactly you rate him relative to Max Holloway and Alexander Volkanovsky, but he rates alongside those two gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> and he's even good at, at lightweight. So, there's that. So anyway, we'll get him and AJ McKee. Should be a good fight. Patricio keeps rolling. Um, the one on, the one more recently, they had the first round of their uh, light heavyweight tournament. Ryan Bader defeated Leoto Machida via unanimous decision. Um, very lackluster fight. Bader kind of got tuned up a little bit the first round. Uh, he had some really good body kicks. Uh, then he got kicked in the head near the end of the round. He eventually recovered and started getting takedowns and then just kind of rode it out. Uh, which I imagine is what we're going to see a lot of. I, I laughed at the Bellator promotion for this, like, the toughest division in the sport. Not by a mile, buddy. But, you know, you're a promoter. You're, you're creating promotional material. Of course you're going to lie. You just have to lie creatively. So I suppose that's cre a creative enough lie. Um, yeah, we'll see more of that as it goes on. Um uh, I'm not terribly interested, but I'm loosely keeping an eye on this, so you might get more from that. Look, Bader's got to be a favorite to, if not win the whole thing, go pretty deep. I mean, my favorite for the tournament is Vadim Nemkov. You know, he is the champion, and he does seem to be very, very good. <laughs> so I I tend to think him. But you know, it, it's a tournament under this structure, so who knows? A lot of crazy things could happen. Uh, all right, I think that's it for that. So, last bit of news here. My computer does a weird thing. Um, Aljamain Sterling, the UFC bantamweight champion, revealed he's going to have to have neck surgery. Will probably be not ready to fight until October, November. Uh, hope he heals up. Hope they strip him of the title. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Uh, I... Uh, I'm not going to lie, I kind of do, because I said this in the aftermath of that fight. The man, through no fault of his own, is a paper champion. And again, that's not his fault. He went out there and did everything you could reasonably ask a fighter to do. He went out and he fought his butt off. That, and that's all you can ask. But there's not really any debate about who the better fighter is, is there? You know? Uh, not, not really. <laughs> so if he's going to be out for a while, I mean... They'll probably give him until the November and see if anything crazy happens the November-ish date. Uh, but if something happens to him after that, if something else happens in addition to the next surgery, uh, they'll probably strip him, give it, and put the belt up on the line between Jan and the winner of uh, Corey Sandhagen and Aljamain Sterling, or Corey Sandhagen and TJ Dillashaw, excuse me, which I'm fine with. Uh, 
So hope I wish him a speedy recovery. Uh, and it it really really sucks that this uh, situation keeps compounding at bantamweight, where there's so many good fighters. The last thing this division needed was all this. Ugh. Dang it, Jan. Why couldn't you have just not need him in the head? You were beating the crap out of him. <laughs> Wasn't even a very close fight down the stretch. Ugh. Oh, well. So we'll keep it up. We'll, you know, try to keep you updated on Aljamain Sterling as far as that goes going forward. All right. Uh, that is, I think, going to be it. So I don't even have a lot of plugs this week. Aren't we all just fortunate? Uh, last week, we did a Damn You Hollywood for the new Godzilla vs. Kong movie. Uh, then I did some impromptu watch-along commentary with Mark Radulich and Jesse Starcher for the 1970 or 60 movie uh, Kong vs. King Kong vs. Godzilla, which was uh, oh, that was something we we had a time. So you can find both of those in the Radulich and Broadcasting Network. Uh, again, kind of a subgroup of the W2M Network. Wherever you're listening to podcasts, you can find that. Uh, yeah, then my usual stuff this week, I guess. So, AEW Dark Elevation on Monday. Uh, whatever MLW is doing on Wednesday. And then WWE SmackDown on Friday. I'll be doing the, uh, will be post-WrestleMania by that point. So, yeah, you can find me doing all that stuff. And I'll be back here next week. Fairly big show next week. We'll be reviewing UFC on ESPN 22. And we'll be previewing the big pay-per-view. We'll be previewing UFC 261. The triple title fight card. Kamaru Usman versus Hori Masvidal 2. Weili Zhang against Rose Namajunas. And Valentina Shevchenko versus Jessica Andrade. All three of those are very, very good fights. So we'll have a full breakdown next week. It should be a good one. Please do come back. I look forward to seeing you all then. Until next time, thank you all again very, very much. I'll see you next week. And please, as always, stay safe out there and remember to be well, be safe, and behave.